The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat. Little chat. Little chat. Chat, 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 chat. for a chat with Nick Bad, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of Chat with Nick Bat, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nick Bat. It's very good to have you guys all along this week, and I promise you, after last Saturday, a podcast that was not particularly football-focused with, with the conversation we had with Dr. Benny and Dr. Batazzi about COVID, and eventually how that was going to affect the NFL and college football, actually, was a big, big uh, conversation topic for a moment, and all of that stuff, we are getting back to the nuts and bolts of the Buffalo Bills this week. Joining me... For his first ever appearance with Chat with Nick Bat. I mean, the show's only been around for <laughs> three episodes, so there's going to be a lot of firsts for a little while. But Sean Murphy, he is an editor with Buffalo Rumblings and is a, a frequent writer on the website, a terrific contributor, a very talented peer of mine on the website. And I was very excited that he was willing to come on and chat a little bit. Sean does one of the biggest, most heavy lifting projects on Buffalo Rumblings, which is that he profiles all of the players on the roster. He does it, you know, they call it the series 91 and 91 for 91 players in 91 days, but ultimately he winds up doing more than that even. And he mentions that in the conversation because as guys come in and out and get injured and whatnot, he still does profiles of all the players as they come in. So Sean has such a depth of knowledge about these players because he writes up about literally every single one of them. Uh, so I thought it was going to be a nice time to have Sean on and talk about some of the roster battles that maybe we're hoping are soon going to be actual competition at some sort of training camp in the coming weeks. But that aside, uh, you guys know how I roll. I'm going to go ahead and play the ads for this episode and then we will come back and Sean and I will chat it up for close to an hour. And then I'll be back with you at the end of the episode. Stay tuned. 
All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this edition of Chat with Nick Bat. And joining me today is a peer of mine on the Buffalo Rumblings website. So Sean Murphy, an editor with Buffalo Rumblings, is joining us today. And Sean, how are you doing? I'm good, Nick. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, appreciate you making some time to come on and, and talk with us. So one of the things that you are doing that is an ongoing, long-term labor of, hopefully a labor of love, it's yeah. certainly it's certainly a lot of effort on your part, is the 91 players you know, profile that you do, 91 and 91. So tell people a little bit about that project and, and where you are as of right now with how much progress you've made and how much you have left to go. Yeah, it's funny because I've uh, I picked it up a couple of years ago. I think it was Jeff Hunter used to do it before me. So then I uh, once once Jeff left, I it kind of fell to me. It was one of those Matt said, "Hey, uh, you want to pick this up?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." Um, and it it kind of works into my my nerdy side because I like to be able to look at at who's on the field and be able to say, "Oh yeah, that's uh, that's number eighty seven. That's Cam Phillips, or that's this guy who." And everybody looks at me and goes, "How the hell do you know who that dude is?" And I'll say, "Well, I write the ninety players in ninety days article, you know, so I can kind of fake smug and big time a couple of my buddies on that." But it's uh, it's it's one of my favorite misnomers because it's this year it's ninety one and ninety one because we have Christian Wade. Uh, but last year, even though we called it 90 and 90, I think I ended up writing like 108 or 109 because uh, as guys would shuttle in and out, dudes would get hurt. They'd, uh, they'd get released with injury settlements. Buffalo would bring in a couple of new guys. They'd, they'd pull themselves in. Uh, so this year with the, with the COVID pandemic, it's been a little easier. I think I just filed number 63 today. Okay. And, and Buffalo's only got 80 eight guys on the roster, I think. So technically we've got space uh, for a little bit more, but I had, uh, I had read somewhere that they were talking about limiting how many uh, people actually get brought to camp. So it's possible that they may only have 75 or 80 uh, to pick from. So I, this 91 and 91 could, uh, it could end up a hundred players. It could end up 75. This has been such a weird year. I don't even know where it's going to go. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to be different, <laughs> whatever it is, yeah. along with everything else that we all experience in 2020. It's certainly going to be different. Well, let me ask you this. So you obviously like you like you just said that 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 situation where, you know, a little bit more or, you know, a lot more about player, you know, insert name here who is with who's having a cup of coffee with the Bills versus, you know, every other fan who's waiting for them to sort of prove their importance to us before we give them a whole lot of our space, you know, space in our brain. Yeah. So as you have gone through it, at least this year, what sorts of things have you found interesting that you have noticed or that you've learned through your process profiling anybody? My favorite thing is when I'll get to a guy who's at the back end of the roster who I have no idea who he is. And then I'll be like, ah, you know, I'll formulate it in my head and I'll go, this guy's probably going to get cut. So maybe that's in my intro. That's how I'll I'll feel it out. I'll, you know, call him, you know, a long shot of some sort. And then when I actually go to do the research on the guy and it turns out that the dude, I mean, obviously all of these guys are great athletes. But but when you see a guy, I think it was uh, it was Delshawn Phillips this year. Uh, one of the reserve linebackers who was on the practice squad last year. And I initially looked and I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't really know a lot about this guy. He couldn't make the roster. They picked him up halfway through last year. He's not going to be 
too big with all that depth. But then I looked at his size. I looked at how fast he is. I think he ran like a 4.640. Like the guy's an absolute monster. So all of a sudden it gets the wheels turning in my head. Like, wait a second, this guy could, you could make the argument to keep him as a special teamer. You could make the argument to keep him as a backup. Uh, and then I end up like when I'm watching the preseason games, I start rooting for these back end dudes. Like, I feel like a, a lot of Bills fans are, are apt to do. We love an underdog given that we are all. Uh, rooting for one of the the perennial underdogs in the league. So when we see a guy who is, uh, you know, a week away from being an insurance salesman or an NFL player, we want that guy to be successful. So that's my favorite part is just being able to look at these, wow, who is that guy kind of stories, and then just pulling them out of nowhere. So as of right now for 2020, who are the guys that, I mean, you just said one, Delshawn Phillips maybe, but who are the guys if the preseason actually were to happen and if it were to look the way that it normally looks, who would be the guys that you would be keeping an eye on that would be, you know, uh, guys that you think have a, or a bit of a dark horse favorite in your mind? Position groups where I feel like there's just going to be more competition for either smaller roles or, or there, there's a lot of bodies. I mean, the running back group, obviously fan favorite is Christian Wade. And I, I knew that when, when his article dropped, that one had, I think more, ca- more comments on it than any of the other ones, because we, we love our guy Wade. Uh, but I, I think the, the undrafted guy, I think his name is Antonio Williams, uh, who's on the, on the camp roster as one of the running backs is somebody I'm really interested to see because he's a bigger bodied guy, uh, kind of that that thunder to Singletary's lightning, which we obviously have in Zach Moss, too. Uh, but it's it's it, it can never hurt to have enough hammers back there. You know, I mean, when you've got a couple of running backs who can just keep pounding ahead and keep the offense on schedule, uh, it works out nicely. Then you've got the wide receiver fight is going to be a dogfight because your guess is as good as mine. Once you get through that. That top three is obvious between Diggs and Brown and Beasley. I'd argue that Gabe Davis is uh, is pretty much locked in as a fourth round pick, and then you've got Andre Roberts feels good as the fifth guy as the return man, because otherwise we're we're gonna get you know the the heart attack duo of Ray Ray McLeod and Isaiah McKenzie returning kicks. Uh, but those guys are going to be fighting with Duke Williams, with Robert Foster, with Isaiah Hodgins. Uh, I'm probably forgetting somebody off the top of my head, but there there are five receivers who you could legitimately make an argument for um, in that last like five, six, seven spot. Um, then you've got your our guy Lee Smith, who uh, I feel like Scarecrow and I sometimes have uh, have some throwdowns about Smith. I know he's a, he's a Smith guy. I am not a Smith guy. Um, so you've got your Lee Smith or do you keep Tommy Sweeney or do you keep Jason Croom, uh, or do you keep some combination therein? Uh, you've got Voshan Joseph is coming back from, uh, from injury last year, uh, to go with Delshawn Phillips and Mike Bell are, uh, some athletic linebackers. So Buffalo's got a really good problem that they, they have a bunch of young dudes uh, who are hungry, who have a shot to make the roster, and they're going to end up cutting a lot of quality football players as a result. 
Okay, well, you you ended with a particular position room that really interests me, mostly because I have a dark horse guy that I think the Bills are a little sweet on, and that's that's the linebacker room. So, you know, the linebacker room, really, it, it, it's Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, right? Those are the premier yeah. guys, the three-down guys who are going to be integral to what <laughs> the Bills do yes. in 2020. Then... After them, you've got A.J. Klein, who is who, you know, signed a, a pretty lucrative deal and is certainly going to probably see the field a lot. He's got some experience with the defense and he plays that very typical, stereotypical uh, strong side, you know, linebacker with the, you know, taken on the tight end side, you know, sort of the, the body mover kind of run yeah. kind of linebacker there. Then. You've got Tyler Matikavich, who is a linebacker in trade, but really he's a special teams ace. 100%. Then we've got Voshan Joseph, who is the draft pick that we, you know, cleverly IR'd for a hamstring pull, I think, last year. Tyrell Dodson, Delshawn Phillips, and Corey Thompson. So Corey Thompson is a guy who, you know, has at least seen the field, kind of been the number one linebacker off the bench in previous seasons, at least of who is on the on the uh, the roster as it stands now. But Tyrell Dodson is the guy who really interests me. Now, Voshan Joseph, obviously there's some draft capital that we invested in him. So there's obviously, you know, there's a desire to hopefully make that work out, you know, so that you spend your assets in a way that I actually get some return out of them. Mm-hmm. But Tyrell Dodson as an undrafted free agent went through, a, you know, a significant controversy where he wound up being suspended six games as a result of a domestic abuse and theft, you know, uh, issue or, or scenario that he wound up with a significant other in. Right. And, the Bills still, although he got demoted to the practice squad, kept him around. And I thought that when he saw the field at, on the preseason last year that he made some some pretty nice instinctive, you know, problem for the offense kind of plays where they weren't really getting by him for whatever he was responsible for on D. So how do you see if you – and then you've got this this guy that you're a little sweet on, which is Delshawn Phillips, right? So the, the, Right. So it's – you know, you've got Matt Milano and you've got Tremaine Edmonds and you've got A.J. Klein who has his role and you've got Tyler Matikavich who has his role, although it's not really on traditionally. It hasn't been so far in his career right. defense. How do you think the back end of this linebacker room shakes out? Well, that's a, a lot of the – and it, the numbers game on defense, I think, starts to bleed from other positions because we've been on the website having this discussion today uh, regarding the defensive line and do you keep – Trent Murphy around because if you keep Trent Murphy around then you're going to cut a guy who's a special teamer like Daryl Johnson or you're going to end up keeping 10 defensive linemen counting Johnson and Harrison Phillips which in turn means that you can't keep as many linebackers and we just mentioned a bunch of guys your guy Dodson uh, when I was at camp last year I was I was lucky enough to get a press pass I was on the sidelines for two days trying so hard not to scream and cheer because that would have been unprofessional of me, but it, it was really impossible for me not to do. But Dodson, as a rookie, was running as the middle linebacker the third-team defense. You had Tremaine was running the first-team defense. Julian Stanford was running team two, and they entrusted Dodson, even with all that he had been through and the suspension that was looming, to be the guy to call the defense when he was out there. So I, I almost think that, that 
if they have a like a, a horse in the race here, if they had to pick two, because I, I can't see them going with with fewer than six linebackers. It, it doesn't. It's too dangerous to me. I think to go lower than that, especially with how they like to stack their special teams with guys who are fast and who can really hit. I think that they probably go with Joseph and Dodson as five six, which means that Thompson is gone and they try to retain a guy like Phillips on the on the practice squad. Um, I could be wrong, but that's that's just my gut because as you said, they stuck with Dodson through some tough times. Um, and they rostered Phillips on their practice squad for a while here. Um, but they, both of those or all three of those guys are similar athletically in that they are run, react, hit type guys. Uh, Dodson and Phillips seem to be better in coverage. Joseph seems to be more a special teams. I mean, I think his instincts from what I've read and what I've seen, he, he gets lost a little bit in the shuffle. He reacts, but he doesn't react the right way all the time when he's reading his keys. Uh, Phillips and, and Dodson seem to be more polished in that regard, but I think Joseph is a superior athlete. So that's, that's where I think that, that he's probably, if he's five and Dodson six or Dodson five and Joseph six, that's where I, I think it would shake down as of now. Have you written your profile on Tyler Matikevich yet? I did. Yeah. Matikevich was one of the first ones. And it's funny because he, said that uh, one of the reasons he signed in Buffalo was that he thought he was going to be afforded an opportunity to show himself on defense. Well, when I reached out to uh, the editor behind the steel curtain, and uh, when I, I mentioned, hey, what do you think of Matikevich's possibility uh, to play defense? And I, to paraphrase him, it was, you'd better hope he doesn't, because so, he's, he's a special teamer and a good one. But when he was on defense, it was a little bit rough from what they said. So I don't know if that was wishful thinking on his part. Um, I don't know if the, the coaching staff has given him the or pitched it to him as the opportunity to come in and maybe some certain packages. But uh, he seems to be that special teams, really the Julian Stanford replacement. So when Medikevich would be given special teams when Medikevich would be given defensive snaps, what linebacker position typically might he fit into best? He he doesn't strike me just you know six one two thirty five as um, you know a replacement for the kind of you know what at least the specimen that that Tremaine Edmonds is in the middle. Right. But he's he's also you know a little bit bigger than Matt Milano on the outside. So is he more of a strong side kind of guy? He does match up pretty well, being only five pounds lighter than AJ Klein and the same height. Is that sort of where he fits in on the strong side sort of stuff? You know, like from a, a logistic standpoint, I would think so. But from what I have read or from what Bean has, uh, Brandon Bean has said, I think that they view him as a middle-only guy. If I, and I could be crossing that up, but I think that they've, he's actually said it, that Matikevich, Dodson, and Edmonds are the, the only quote-unquote middle-only guys. That they have. Yeah, I, I think so, too, because from an athletic standpoint, I mean, very few people are Tremaine Edmonds athletically, but Matikevich is such a steep drop-off athletically in comparison to Edmonds that I, I can't see him being the primary backup, which would give a guy like Dodson a, uh, a really solid footing 
to get himself onto the roster. Because if, God forbid, Edmonds were to be lost for any period of time, uh, the, the drop-off, if they had to play Milano and Matikevich, for example, would be catastrophic for the way the Bills run their defense. Yeah. So why is it that you see Corey Thompson being on the outside looking in? Is it kind of a the upside of youth uh, sort of deal with him, or is there something else that sees him not being one of the final uh, guys who are still in the room? He's an, he's an interesting case because he's been a valuable part of their special teams for the last couple of years, uh, and he's done a better job staying healthy uh, as a professional than he did in college, but he is, uh, I think he's going to be 28. So when you're, when you're looking at guys who are younger than him, who are probably better athletes than him, uh, who have had, you know, fewer injury woes than him, it, it really just comes down to, like you said, I mean, it's a gut feeling there where I would rather run the risk, uh, of taking some guys with lesser experience and more upside in the backup realm than I would hold on to a guy like Thompson, uh, who's been okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's been a world beater. I know he subbed in for, uh, for Zoe a little bit in 2018 towards the end of the year, uh, or maybe that was Milano, excuse me, when Milano broke his leg. And then uh, last year he got on the field a little bit defensively, but he's, I mean, to me, he's been no great shakes. I think that's a spot they could improve. Do you think that Trent Murphy sticks around considering here's the thing that makes it makes it seem hard for me to see them moving on from Trent is that he's certainly McDermott's kind of guy yep. in in that he is sort of a go to work you know I, I, if there's anybody who's going to show up at one bill's drive in shape with having put in the kind of personal work on his own body as necessary I would bet pretty high dollar that that Trent Murphy's going to be one of those guys. He has the experience in the defense. He's going to show up in shape. He's going to go about his work. And in an offseason where, you know, young guys like AJ Epinesa are not going to get the sort of tutelage that they would ideally be getting to contribute as heavily as possible in their rookie season, you're going to wind up leaning on veterans that, you know, that Trent Murphy sort of is described as right. to fill the void. So do you see a, a realistic way that they still move on from Murphy given the unusual COVID affected offseason, or is he safer than he otherwise would have been? I have waffled on this one so many times throughout the offseason because in my head, I just say, yeah, he's gone because I look at who's probably going to start would be Hughes and uh, and Mario Addison. And then if you look at Murphy as being the top backup end, then you still have, so there's three defensive ends right there with Hughes, Addison, Murphy. You've got Daryl Johnson, who is a great athlete, but has he's really raw. I mean, he fell out of favor after about five weeks last year. I don't think he played a defensive snap. Uh, for the entire months of October and, and November, maybe until the, the season finale. You spend a high draft pick on Epinesa. There's five defensive ends. And then you have Quentin Jefferson, who is a defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid at about 6'3", 280. So he could be a three-tech backup for Ed Oliver in the middle. 
but he could also be, uh, I think he played left end a little bit while he was with Seattle. So there's six defensive ends right there. Uh, and then you've got Oliver and Starlatulale, Vernon Butler, and Harrison Phillips as defensive tackles. So there's your 10 D linemen. If we assume that Phillips is going to start the year on the physically unable to perform list because of his, his ACL surgery recovery, now we're at nine. Nine is an okay number, but then it, if you bring Phillips back halfway through the year after his six weeks are up, you've got to release somebody, probably from the defensive line, to get him on the roster. All of those guys are vested veterans except for Daryl Johnson. So you either have to cut one of the vested veterans and pay him his entire base salary because it's guaranteed after week one, or you've got to risk cutting Johnson, who is, I don't know if, if you were like me, but I can't count how many kickoffs that I watch Buffalo cover where my dad, we watch every game and he's sitting next to me going, who the hell is that giant missile who just fired off at somebody? And it was Johnson every single time. So I would rather part ways with Murphy before the season and roll the dice on the younger guys and a guy like Addison who has experience in McDermott's system and a guy like Jefferson who may not have played in McDermott's system, but he's a pro and he's been around and I would at least try to rely on those guys to get myself down to eight. That's just me. And I mean, this is, this is a Murphy on Murphy crime here, me trying to, <laughs> to advocate for my namesake being gone. And the thing that gives me pause is that Murphy played his best football in the last three weeks of the season last year. So was that matchup based? Or was that because he was finally starting to feel good after his own ACL surgery uh, from, from the year prior to him coming to Buffalo? So I'm not really sure. I'm not, nothing that they do is going to surprise me. Um, my gut says he's gone. But in, in a COVID-interrupted offseason, if they decided to pay him $9 million to be the third defensive end and play 40% of the snaps, I, I think it would be worthwhile also. I could see them going with it. What do you think about the tight end room? So you talked about Lee Smith and obviously your opinion of him. I don't – I probably have a similar personal opinion of him, but my my hang-up is that it just seems to be the Bills and Sean McDermott like what he brings to the locker room so much. And I, Yeah, they, they I, love him. Yeah, it just is like even if even if it makes sense to me, okay, he plays this very niche role that we could easily replace, you know, with uh, somebody else. You know, it's Dawson Knox is a formidable blocker. Tommy Sweeney's a pretty good blocker. So just give Lee Smith snaps to somebody who's got a little bit more youth and dynamism, and you know, as dynamic as you want to say Tommy Sweeney would be. You know, he's got right. more. He's got more in that category than Lee Smith does. I understand it makes sense, you know, when you're doing it on paper, but how much, how valuable is Lee Smith's leadership and attitude and demeanor in the room, you know, to the Bills? Are they going to move on from him knowing how much, you know, do you think they're going to move on from him knowing how much they like 
the intangible aspect of what he brings. Yeah, I, I doubt that they move on, to be honest with you. I, I think that he's there. And for those reasons, um, one of the coolest quotes of his that I saw uh, was they asked him about Tommy Sweeney. And I think this was last year. And, and Smith talked about how great a kid and how great a worker Sweeney was. And he goes, listen, man, he's better than me. And I hope that he gets to be way better than me. Like, this kid's going to be great. I don't want him to be, like, looking up to Lee Smith. I want to be looking back and saying, yeah, Tommy Sweeney was just better than Lee Smith. And that's a that's a great thing for a guy, for a veteran, to be able to sit there and be like, yeah, my job's going to get taken by this young buck at some point. And just for him to be cool with it and for him almost to to invite it. That's that's the kind of people you want in your locker room, whether you're coaching, you know, NFL football or, or you know, T-ball. You want the kid who's going to be able to look and say, hey, that guy's better than me. I want him to be able to to go ahead and, and I'm going to bring him along. So I, I could see them again if they go with four tight ends. It, it's probably going to end up Croft and Smith and Knox. And then you've got a coin flip between Kroom and Sweeney. I, I, with apologies to Nate Becker, I don't think that Nate Becker is going to factor into uh, the decision very much as it goes on. But I, that's where it gets tough for me because for, from a future perspective, I would rather see them have Sweeney and Kroom on the roster so that they could do more in a spread-type look. Uh, but there's something to be said about having a, a – a guy who blocks like an offensive lineman and who can run routes like a tight end. It's not like we could just throw Deion Dawkins out there. Uh, as much as I'd love to see him run a few more routes per uh, per month instead of just the one or two trick plays every once in a while, I think that that's where they view Smith's value. If you had to come down between Sweeney and Kroom, you know, for your opinion of them, because uh, I haven't given Jason Kroom a whole lot of my attention aside from occasionally laughing and chuckling at some nepotism accusations <laughs> and, you know, remembering that he was somebody Tyrod Taylor liked, right? That's that's really all that I sort of remember of Jason Kroom because he has, it's been so long since he's, you know, been on the field and had any sort of meaningful, uh, meaningful play. So yeah. re- remind people what he brings to the table and do you think he has any shot at, at making uh, at kidding a roster spot in a legitimate fashion this year. Yeah, I think he does. I mean, he was a college receiver at the University of Tennessee. Uh, so he bulked up a little bit to go play tight end. But I mean, he's still he has that wide receiver athleticism about him and the way that he runs his routes in the way that he uh, he shakes and he can go ahead and, and use his hands to catch away from his body. He's got a nice catch radius. Uh, not quite as big. Sweeney's a bigger dude than he is. Um, I I don't legitimately have a feel as to which one the coaching staff would go for. I this is again that's why I would cut Smith. But if you've already like stuck Smith on me, I I think I would take Kroom over Sweeney, and I think that I might be wrong in doing it. But I I like Kroom's athleticism. I like what Kroom showed. Even when with uh, with Josh Allen in 2018, when uh, when Charles Clay was kind of getting towards the end of the line there, it uh, we saw a little bit out of Kroom that I liked. They seemed to have a nice little budding chemistry going towards the end of the year. So I I think that Kroom would be my guy. 
Okay, well, so then I've got two other positions that I'm interested in picking your brain on. The last one, well, second to last one, the penultimate position, we will say. Ah, oh, I love it. Is the safety room. So you've got Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer now has his new deal, and they are a dynamic duo. We don't want to break them up. They're going to be there. Mm-hmm. But you've, you've still got Saran Neal said to be a safety, although he's probably more of a nickel corner. But, right. you know, he's listed on the Bills website, at least, as a safety. Then you've got Dean Marlowe and Jaquan Johnson. So if we want to just set Saran Neal off to the side and say he's not really in this position room in the same way anymore, we can do that. But we just resigned Dean Marlowe, and he was, you know, for a time, it was it was Bruce and my favorite joke to talk about him. They would just, you know, pick up the bat phone, and, and anytime somebody was dinged <laughs> up, Dean Marlowe could just be in shape at home on his couch, and he can come in and, and get meaningful snaps because he knows McDermott's defense so well. Yep. Last last year he was on the team on the team all year, so no bat phone needed, and they just resigned him. But we've also got Jaquan Johnson, who is this interesting. A lot of people who kind of give it any sort of attention, he winds up beca- becoming a little bit of a crush to people because he's a quote unquote a football player yep. with you know some limited athleticism, but very much a you know easy to root for kind of player. So. You know, do all five of those guys wind up on the roster? You know, are they going to carry four safeties? Is it going to be a situation where maybe they they carry three and try to keep Saran Neal on the back end because he has a little bit of flexibility as far as that, as far as position goes? Or how do you see that shaking out as of, you know, uh, July 10th, July 11th, 2020? Yeah, I think as uh, as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I, I like that fivesome. Um, like you said about Marlowe, um, I just I always remember the game. It was in, against the Titans in 2018, and that was when you know the bat phone, the signal went up. Marlowe came in in the middle of the night, plays every single snap against the Titans, plays great the entire game, and then the next day gets released and demoted back to the practice squad. And it's like, yeah, he's fine, he's all right. He'll be back when we need him, and and that guy as your your backup safety is perfect. And then Jaquan Johnson in the preseason last year, I think he was third in the NFL in tackles, uh, makes the squad as a rookie, comes out and does a great job on special teams, doesn't play a defensive snap until that season finale, gets an interception uh, that got, and it was a beauty on the sidelines, little toe tap thing that gets nullified because Kurt Coleman ends up with some bonehead roughing the passer penalty on Sam Darnold. Um, so I, I think Johnson is a guy I'm real excited about to come in and, and to see him develop. I don't see him as somebody who's going to end up eventually replacing uh, Poyer or Hyde. At least I hope that he doesn't because I don't want Poyer and Hyde to leave. They're, at, they're outstanding. You don't break up what is arguably the best and if not the best one of the best safety duos in the league. Um, and like you said, I think Saran Neal is, uh, is a safety in name only at this point. He seems to be a big nickel corner. You'd almost, we'd be better off talking about him as competition, I think, for Teron Johnson uh, and potentially, I guess, EJ Gaines in that slot corner role rather than talking about him as a safety. But I, I do, I think that you keep Hyde, you keep Poyer, you keep Johnson and Marlowe as your backup safeties and special teams guys, and you have Neil as one of your big, big nickels. And then I think they'll end up keeping four corners, and then boom, 
you're all set. Well, let's let's go to corner then, because I am interested in how the nickel corner shakes out. Teron Johnson, I, I I like him a lot. I think that although he did a better job staying healthy last year, he was not as dynamic and missile like last year as he was in his rookie season. Yep. So some of the shine comes off of him, you know, and all the dedication that we have the and the affection that we had for for Teron Johnson fades, and now maybe we are open to other players at the nickel corner. So to me, the the guys who I think are in contention for that, and you can give me someone else if if there's someone I forget, would be Terrence Johnson, uh, Saran Neal, Cam Lewis, and then the rookie Dane Jackson. So, you know, as far as you see that role right now, do any of those players have more potential to contribute to that position than we maybe are talking about right now? Or is it really Taron Johnson and Saran Neal and you're going to rotate through depending on what kind of a slot receiver they're going up against? That's probably how they're going to roll with it. Uh, but, I mean, Cam Lewis is a guy who's been around now. I think this is his second offseason with the team. Um, he looks like the kind of guy that you keep around in the, in the Dean Marlowe bat phone role. Because uh, he knows the defense, and you keep him on that practice squad. And if Johnson is hurt, uh, then you can pull him up for a day. Um, if you look at Dane Jackson, has that little volunt or that what's the word I'm looking for? That versatility uh, to not only play in the slot, but he seems to be a guy who can play outside as well. Um, and I think that they like him in that. Kevin Johnson role that they had last year, where if they need to go man to man, uh, you've got Levi Wallace, who isn't physical enough really to do it. And you've got Josh Norman now on the outside, who just got torched regularly with Washington when they were playing that press man to man coverage. So I don't think they view either of those guys as man corners. Um, even though he's a smaller guy, I and the I'm a big EJ Gaines fan, even though he and Teron Johnson have similar issues with injuries. Uh, counting on either of those guys to play more than 12 games is, is dicey at best. So you've got Gaines who could factor into this whole fight uh, as a guy who gives them a man-to-man option. So it, it's going to be interesting. They've also got an undrafted free agent named Ike Brown who's out there too, who looks to be a solid development guy. He'll probably end up a practice squad candidate similar to Lewis. Um, But I I do, I could see it being Johnson and Neal and then them rotating Jackson and Lewis and potentially even Gaines in the middle there to see if, if somebody's got uh, enough juice to stick around as, as maybe a third option in that spot. But it's it's more likely that they probably just keep those top two, your, your Teron Johnson and Saran Neal, and call it a day. While we're talking about the corners, how confident are you that Josh Norman is going to be better than he was in Washington? And, mm-hmm. and I'd say, you know, maybe being better than he was in Washington would be a little easy. <laughs> how, how confident are you that he's going to be good enough that we would be satisfied with him as CB2. Yeah, if you just Paul McCartney'd me and said, you've got to believe it's getting better, I'm going to John Lennon you and say it can't get much worse uh, than he was in Washington because that was the last few years, last year especially, he was 
atrocious. I think he allowed something like 67% of the passes thrown his way to, to be completed. He allowed seven touchdowns in like 40 targets in there. So that was, that was rough. But again, I think that was more, I'm hoping that it was more a defensive misfit than it was an erosion of overall skills which makes the way that the Bills have set up this contract pretty solid because only $1.5 million of it is guaranteed. If he's on the roster, he's got a $5.8 million cap hit. But if, if he doesn't make it out of camp, like if, they, if we get through practices, if there's any preseason and, and he's cooked and he just doesn't look like he can contribute, they can move on. And they're only on the hook for one and a half million in in a dead cap charge. Um, so I I would I'd put it at a coin flip. I I'm hoping that he lasts a little bit longer than uh, he who shall not be named, who retired at halftime of the uh, the Chargers game week two in 2018. But I uh, I'm not confident that he's going to be able to beat out uh, Levi Wallace, who I'm also not that confident uh, in trusting my CB two. Two. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting little mishmash over there because you've got it's I mean it's first world problems because you've got a, a bona fide legit all pro shutdown stud in Tre'Davious White. So obviously whoever's across from him is going to look less talented by comparison. But there were so many games last year where you just watched. I mean Ryan Fitzpatrick literally just looked for where Trey White was, threw it to the other side of the field, and was, was surgically picking them apart. So that can't happen. It can't be that blatant a weakness. So either Wallace has to get better or, or Norman has to just come out and be able to show that in Sean McDermott's defense, even if he doesn't revert back to his 2015 all-pro self at you know 32 going on 33 years old, something close, just better than the the carcass that was getting burnt in Washington would be helpful for the defense. Yeah, I want to get it. I want to do a roster pop quiz with you. All right. I want to just I just want to I just want to give you some some situations or some uh, some arrangements of the roster rooms and say we're having so many of this position. Here's the four or five locks. Who's number six? And then we'll just go through and see which see where you land on some of this stuff. You, you so, know I'm a high school teacher, so these pop these pop quizzes are good for me. This is yes, perfect. this this is very much yeah. I'm just I, uh, I feel like my kids now though. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, good, good. Well, I hope that you understand what the shoe feels like on the <laughs> other foot. So, okay, if we do the wide receiver room, can we agree that they're probably going to keep six? Sit. You know what? I'll go with six. I won't even make the argument for seven yet because seven is just in my fantasy. I think they've always kept six. So, yeah, I think six is a fair number. Okay, so if we're saying six, then we've got guys who are safe, right? We've got Beasley, Brown, Diggs. Uh, I agree Gabe Davis is uh, safe. So we are at five or I'm sorry, uh, at four. And then I also would say that Andre Roberts is safe as the return man. Would you are you comfortable with saying those five are locks? I am, yeah. Because otherwise, you've got you're not going to put Micah Hyde back there to to fair catch on punts, like to be the Chris Watson of of punt fair catching. And you're not, please, for the love of God, going to put Isaiah McKenzie or or Ray Ray McLeod back there to to return kicks either. So it's got to be Roberts. I, I agree there. Okay, so then who is number six? We've got. Oh. 
candidates, you know, Nick Easley, hypothetically, Robert Foster, Isaiah Hodgins, and Ray Ray, and Isaiah McKenzie. Oh, man. I am on my coin flip here. Yeah, because I, like you, I am going to discount Duke Williams there. I think if they keep seven, you can make an argument, but I still, uh, Duke is gone. Um, my last two for six, I think, would be McKenzie and Isaiah Hodgins. And I like McKenzie because, again, I, I guess I deal in like too many projections here, but I like the thought of using McKenzie almost like the Green Bay Packers used uh, Ty Montgomery as somebody who could almost sit in like a running back, then he could go out and run routes. Um, so I, I think that the coaching staff is going to prioritize McKenzie because he's a more versatile move piece. I think that's going to make some fans mad because I think Hodgins has some legit stud potential based on his, his size catch radius. Uh, I I've seen people guesstimating that they actually think that he's going to be a better pro than Davis. I haven't watched enough tape of either of them. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to guess McKenzie, uh, and I'm going to hedge my bet, which I do a lot, if you all haven't noticed, by, by saying that Hodgins would be my, my seven if I'm keeping seven. All right, fair. Is there, here's question number two. Is there any way that the Bills keep Reggie Gilliam over Pat DeMarco? <sighs> no. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I just don't, and I, it, it's not that I want it to be that way. But if you, again, I think we, we've talked a little bit about how McDermott's got the kind of guy he wants in certain rooms. And I think that DeMarco is the kind of guy that he wants. Now, by the same token, Gilliam was a special teams monster at Toledo. And, and he, he could slide himself in. I think he's one of those dudes where this abbreviated preseason training camp is going to screw him. Out of, out of a spot. I think he had a chance if you have a full off season. I think that, that Buffalo is going to try to slip him onto the practice squad and we'll be talking about him in 2021. Fair enough. Hauschka or Bass? I think it's going to be Bass. I don't think they, I don't think you draft a kicker unless you plan, unless if Bass is miserable in the off season or if Hauschka is amazing then you hold on to him. But I, I don't think you draft a kicker a few months after putting in a waiver claim for a kicker and and not intend to keep that kicker. So I, I, I think this might be the end of Hauschka. All right. So I have a question here because I'm going to make a presumption. Do you feel similarly to how I feel in that the fourth quarterback on the depth chart, Davis Webb, the Bills just love having him in the room with Josh Allen. They don't really have any desire for him to play or to be in that position, but they they have him there largely as, you know, the guy who runs things like the Florida workouts. Yeah, I, I think I could agree with that. He's not the only way that he gets on the field is if Allen and Barkley and From all are hurt or or contract coronavirus. There, I, I, I don't think they see him as a player. I think they see him as, as a teammate, if that oh, makes sense. Sure, sure. Okay, so 
understood that that's the role that Davis plays. Does Fromm, in your opinion, does Fromm make the roster? I, in a normal year, no. I, but I think, given the the uncertainty around uh, the coronavirus, because if if somebody were to get get sick, let's say Barkley gets sick, and he's got to be gone, and they have already released Fromm, and somebody else picked him up via waiver claim, uh, they'd be stuck. So I I do I think that. They'll end up holding on to this. Only be the second time that they keep three quarterbacks, and it's the first time that they've kept three uh, proper quarterbacks. Because the the first year that McDermott was here, they kept uh, it was Tyrod Taylor. Um, it was why? Oh gosh, Nathan Peterman. I almost blocked his name out of my head. Yeah. And then the and then the third quarterback that they kept was Joe Webb, but he was really a special teamer. So, uh, but I, so I, I do. I think here that that given the uncertainties with uh, with the pandemic, I think Fromm makes the roster as the emergency quarterback. Okay, fair enough. So, last question, and this is a this is an important one: Is Cody Ford a tackle? Ooh, I mean, the early returns are maybe. I, I think he's he has the potential to develop into a good one. I don't think that it's necessarily his best NFL position. I, I think that, and I, I don't know necessarily that Buffalo is looking to keep him there. I, I think that for this year, he will end up the right tackle. Um, but if John Feliciano is able to parlay another solid year in Buffalo into a larger contract somewhere else, you could very well see Ford uh, kicking inside and playing right guard. Um, his struggles are not struggles that I think he can get better with. I, I don't think that you can be a big fellow who struggles with speed off the edge and get a whole lot better at struggling with speed off the edge because I don't think it's a technique thing. His technique seems to be fine. I, I think it's a quickness thing, and I, I think that he's going to continue to be exploited by faster guys off the edge. And as I'm saying this out loud, I, I remember how well he did against Von Miller, for example, last year when they played Denver. But then there were days where he just was getting run all over the place, and the offense always seemed to bog down when he was in there. And... They scored a ton more points, especially in the early going when Ty Inseki was playing right tackle instead. So I I think the jury's still out. My gut says no. I think he's a guard playing tackle, but he's good enough to sit there as a as a good to above average tackle. I think he'd be a great guard. Does Daryl Williams start any games for the Bills over Cody Ford? Ooh. If does he start any games over Ford? I mean, if, if we're talking like if, if Williams is 2017 Daryl Williams, then Daryl Williams should be the right tackle, period. Um, I don't know that Daryl Williams is 2017 Daryl Williams. I, the knee injury he suffered in, uh, in 2018 was pretty serious. And uh, I think it was a couple of ligament tears and a dislocated patella. So he uh, it, it's he struggled to come back, and last year he struggled uh, 
they played him at left tackle. They played him at right guard. They played him at, at right tackle. They, they played him in a couple different spots and he just got beat up. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with no right now, but I will, I'm open to changing my mind if I see him look like his old self in the preseason. All right. Fair enough. Well, that, that you, you passed the test. I, All actually, right. you know, I didn't, uh, I'm a very easy grader, so you, you definitely, <laughs> you got, you got so many, you got so many, uh, effort points that you didn't, you never really had to worry. Yeah, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, Sean, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, tell, tell the people, uh, where they can find you on the, on the interwebs, at least digital Sean Murphy, if they wanted to interact with you a little bit. Well, the best part about having a name like Sean Murphy is that if you Google me, there's like 4,000 of us. So I am as anonymous as anonymous can get with a, with a name like mine. So keeping off of uh, social medias as a high school teacher is one of those things I try to do. So if you just follow over at Buffalo Rumblings, check out for my stuff. That's all you got to do. Gotcha. Wonderful. Any other parting thoughts or anything else you want to get in before we, uh, before we hang it up? Nah, man. I'm just really, really happy that you were able to have me on. I love doing this stuff, so I appreciate it, dude. Thanks. Yeah, wonderful. Won't be the last time, and uh, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, man. Well, that's it. That was a great episode. I mean, I really appreciate Sean. I had heard Sean talk on two different Buffalo Rumblings podcasts in the past. He had been on Breaking Buffalo Rumblings once with Anthony Marino, and he had had a conversation with Nate from Circling the Wagons after training camp last year, which Sean said that he had he was able to get a press pass from Buffalo Rumblings and he was on site for a couple of days and all that stuff. I heard a conversation that he and Nate had, and I, I just I just like how Sean talks. I like how he expresses himself. I think he's got some really uh, helpful turns of phrase and, and, and describes things well. So I was excited to bring him on and hopefully expose a few more people in the Buffalo Rumblings world or in the podcast universe to Sean. I think he's a, he's a damn good, he's a damn good get for Buffalo Rumblings and I'm glad to have him on the team and I hope that you guys enjoyed hearing from him. In the future, we will, uh, we'll be together again. And until then, I will bid you all adieu to please go and enjoy your weekend. It's always going to be too short, but I do hope you get some rest and you enjoy it. I will be back with you next week with another member of the Buffalo Bills of the Buffalo Rumblings in inner circle of the Buffalo Rumblings team, a behind the scenes person who you don't always hear on the podcasts. And until then, Nick Bat out. Mm-hmm.